All right, so um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, you know, trying to get weeds out of your yard. Maybe you go pour a bunch of chemicals on it, pour a bunch of poison on it, um, and, uh, or maybe you take a, a, you know, a, a, you know, a spade or something, and you, you, you dig up all those weeds, and then, um, and then they never come back. That's the beautiful part about it, right? Those weeds never come back. No, they come back. And, and, and then they're like, oh man, I got to dump more junk on this. And then over and over and over we do it. And, and uh, you know, uh, last year over at uh, some, some land uh, belonging to my family, we did a big project where we, you know, we, we cleared a bunch of land and we, you know, you know, put out weed killer and all these things and mechanically removed a lot of, a lot of mesquite trees and stuff. And, and when, when I was back down there a couple weekends ago, I was digging a little hole and there was like this gigantic root of a, of a mesquite tree and like all these long, nasty, angry looking thorns. And it was just right there below the surface, just ready for its moment to, to, to jump up again. And, and uh, you know, thinking about that, like how many how many areas of our lives are there? Are there areas of your life where like you keep trying to kill this addiction or this behavior over and over and over again, this habit, and you'll pour all this shame on it, you'll pour all this contempt on it, you'll pour all this hate on it, but then it just keeps coming back and it's kind of always there under the surface just ready to strike. And, and, and I, I really respect and I've been learning a lot from uh, the Fry's, Keith and Elizabeth Fry. And, and, and their model of, of gardening over at Nine Springs Garden um, is, you know, if I understand correctly, is, is they really focus on uh, creating healthy soil. And they want to build up healthy soil, not just dump a bunch of toxins to kill the weeds. They want to develop soil that's healthy. They want to develop soil that's, that's nutritious. And, and, and the food that we grow is only going to be as healthy as the soil that we grow it in, right? And so, so they really take this holistic approach. There's a shift towards this in medicine as well. You know, right, for years, you know, we all just, we get sick, we just take a bunch of medicine, but then there's some people that say, hey, what if we worked on creating healthy bodies, right? And what if we worked on, like, um, you know, uh, helping create places where, helping create uh, our bodies to be more healthy and, and uh, boosting our immune system and all these things. And, and just th- think about that spiritually. Um, what would it look like to focus less on, you know, dumping chemicals on all of our bad habits and to focus more on developing soil that's healthy what would it look like to build up the nutrient value of our the soil of our heart what would it look like to allow god to to plow and till and compost and 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 add nutrient and value to the soil of our hearts and 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 might we see that we find our lives producing healthier fruit and and the thing about it is that that's slow work it's patient work. It takes time. It takes years to develop healthy soil, but we want to see results today, right? But the thing is, there's a slow work that God wants to do in our lives, and I'm convinced that prayer is God's design. Prayer is God's primary way. It's the primary way that we partner with God to create healthy soil in our lives. And, and through prayer, God plows our ground and he adds value and nutrient to our soil and he, to our soil and he, and he, and he uh, produces soil in us that can produce good fruit. And so today we're kicking off this year-long emphasis on prayer. And most Christians I talk to, including myself, yes, I talk to myself, most Christians I talk to would say, my prayer life could be better. You know, uh, anybody in here feel like, you know what, 
I'm pretty much nailing it in the prayer department. Anybody uh, feel like you're just kind of killing it there? Most of us would say, hey, even if I, maybe some of us would say, I don't have a prayer life at all. Some of us would say, yeah, I pray when I, when I want something or when I'm in a bind. And some of us would say, you know, I, I mean, I pray, I talk to God, but man, I want to go deeper in that. I want to I wanna know God more intimately. Um, and, and, and I think most of us is, would say, to, to, at least to a degree, that we struggle in our prayer life or it's not where we want to be. And, and, and part of it is we struggle with knowing what to say uh, we, we struggle with knowing how to talk to God. Uh, part of it is we're so trained to be independent and autonomous and I'm going to do everything by myself and I don't need anybody. And, and part of it is that thing of we want to see results right now. And, and praying feels like, um, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit and wait, and I'm gonna, but, but I want to go out there and just do something. I want to go out there and just take action. And, 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 and so often we do see immediate results that way, but they may not be necessarily healthy results. It's, it's kind of like um, we don't want to wait for the ribeye steak that God is cooking, and so we just demand McDonald's instead. It's like, you say, oh, thank you. It's like, give me that McDonald's. I don't want to wait on that ribeye steak out there uh, uh, sizzling on the grill, right? So, so what is prayer? The, the, the simplest definition, I think, would be it's, it's two-way communication between you and God. Prayer is you talking to God, listening to God. I love the way Dallas Willard defines prayer. He says, prayer is talking to God about what you are doing together. Prayer is talking to God about what you are doing together. Um, prayer is this project between you and God. And, and remember, God is, is, uh, is preparing you to, uh, to and, and is, he, he's apprenticing you to, to, uh, to rule the universe one of these days. The New Testament has this incredible promise that one day the people of God are going are to rule the world, going to rule the universe. And like, that's pretty mind-boggling. And, and prayer is, kinda, is a big part of how God trains you to rule. He trains you to reign. He trains you, trains you and me to cooperate and participate with Him. And prayer is about talking to God about what you're doing together. Yes, God can only do these big things we ask for, but, but he, he, God can, is the only one that can change people, and He's the only one that can change the world, but He wants to use you as part of that process. And so, so often where we start with prayers, we just talk to God about what matters to us. And we find that as God is our Father, uh, what matters to us matters to Him. And then we find that the more we talk to God about what matters to us, we find that not only does it matter to Him, but we find the things that matter to him begin to matter to us as well. So in Matthew 6, Jesus gives the disciples this model prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come, your will be done. And earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, right? And this prayer isn't, a magical prayer it's not a formula he's not saying you got to use these exact words he's not saying if you do if you do it like this you're gonna get what you want every time that's not what he's doing but he's showing us what healthy prayer looks like and the first movement of healthy prayer is healthy prayer looks up and says father we acknowledge who we're talking to our father over the last few years many voices have noticed in our culture that we have a fatherlessness problem um, last year, after another school shooting, Mike Rowe, the host of Dirty Jobs, TV personality, he, he made comments saying that there's an epidemic of fatherlessness in the United States. 
And if you think about fatherlessness, whether you have a biological father or not, um, there is often this sense of having an orphan spirit. Last night at, at the wild, men's wild game uh, dinner, um, Jason from Revive Texas gave this great talk about an orphan spirit versus a spirit of sonship, being like an orphan in our relationship with God versus being a child of God. And, and he talked about how the orphan spirit is constantly feeling the need to prove itself and constantly saying, look at me, and, and constantly feeling like it has to perform to be loved and valued. And isn't that how so much of the time we approach God? Like we've got to earn something from Him? Like we've got to deserve something from Him? I wonder what the connection between fatherless, spiritual fatherlessness and prayerlessness is. I wonder if there's a connection there. Knowing God as Father is the first step and it's the finish line of prayer. Knowing God as Father is the first step and it's the finish line. Knowing God as Father is something that you receive the moment you place your trust in Jesus, God becomes your Father, and He's as much your Father as He's ever going to be. But our understanding of what it means for God to be our Father, our understanding of what it means to be children of God, that's a lifelong journey of growing up into that. So it's the first step, and it's also the finish line of prayer. It's the first step in the finish line of the entire Christian life is coming to know what it means that God, the creator of the universe, is your father, that he loves you, that he's pleased with you. Um, it's the first step and the, and the finish line. A.W. Tozer famously wrote um, in The Pursuit of God, he said, what comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think of God. When you, come, when you think of God, what comes to mind? Some of us think about kind of an Easter bunny type of person, kind of type of being that's just kind of like kind of a cross between the Easter bunny and Oprah. You get a car and you get a car and you get a... And some of us think about this, this kind of very disappointed, uh, you know, rule keeper who's out to get us. And that says that's the most important thing about you, what you imagine when you think of God. But the way the New Testament reveals God, the way Jesus reveals God is that he is your holy father he's good and he's righteous and he's strong and he's gentle and he's merciful and he's just all at the same time this really uh was drilled home to me a couple weeks ago we were out at the place and we've been planting some fruit trees we had a long day and i had the you know the calluses on my hands and all that and i was going to slip off into the pasture and kind of have a, a little alone time on my on my four-wheeler and, and 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 i stopped just before i got to the gate and i looked back and i would have shown you the picture but it's kind of too dark to see what's even happening there but there's sonda out there the sun sets behind her and she's watering some some trees and there's Ethan standing with her and i thought man i'm gonna snap a picture of them beautiful sunset beautiful new trees one day hopefully they'll be huge and there's my, my wife and my son as I take the picture, I notice something had sh shifted, and Ethan in this picture is just, my son is just running toward me. And, oh, thanks. And he's just running towards me. And his face is just lit up. And I've looked at that picture so many times over the last couple of weeks because, like, that's what being a son is about. 
Like, man, he didn't want anything from me. He just wanted to be in my presence. He just wanted to be with me. And so, man, I let him get, I was like, man, I want to slip away by myself. So I let him get real close. And I just peeled out and was like, sorry, sucker. No, uh, no, of course I didn't do that. Like I waited and I'm like, you know what? We're going to have some, we're going to have some time. And he hopped up there and we, we drove around and we talked and all that stuff. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. And he wasn't like, hey, can I have a million dollars? No, he was just like, man, I want to be with you. Guys, there's, maybe there was a time in your walk with Christ that that's what it looked like. You just wanted to be with your father. But maybe somewhere along the way, it became work or it became distant. And I know I've been challenged just as I think about my walk with Christ. Like, man, so often it becomes about performance. It becomes about um, feeling like I've got to earn something or I've got to perform a certain way. And man, it would break my heart if one of my kids thought that my love for them was tied to their performance. Our Father is the starting point and it's the finish line. N.T. Wright compares this phrase, our Father, to being like a suit that we grow into. I've got a picture when Ava was, was little and she's wearing my gloves and she's wearing my boots and the boots are like up to here and the gloves are hanging off and she's like cheesing like that. And like we all maybe, maybe you have that experience of putting on like dad's boots or gloves or something and, 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 and there's this sense in which when you come to know Christ, that coat, that jacket is put on you. That suit of sonship is put on you. The rest of our lives, though, we grow up in coming to know what does that mean. J.I. Packer says, you sum up the whole New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. So in Exodus 4, uh, Moses, uh, God's sending Moses to go confront Pharaoh and to, and to say, let my people go. And he says, God tells Pharaoh, thus you will say, God tells Moses, thus you'll say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And what this means, that Israel is his firstborn son, yes, that means that God wants intimacy with Israel, but it also means God wants freedom for Israel. God doesn't want them to be slaves. And it means that God is about to invite Israel into a mission. What's it mean for you to be God's child? What's it mean for God to be your father? It means you can have intimacy with him. It means you can have freedom. It means you don't have to stay locked up in the same old junk over and over and over, day after day after day, year after year after year. And it means God wants to invite you into an apprenticeship relationship. Think about what, uh, what Jesus' relationship with his earthly father, Joseph. Uh, he apprenticed under Joseph to learn to do what Joseph did. Joseph was a carpenter. He built houses. And through that apprenticeship, he, he learned how to be a carpenter. And then Jesus invites people to come and be his apprentices. And, and so to, to be a father or, and a son in the first century Jewish world was a relationship, yes, of intimacy. There's that intimate word, Abba, where a child would, would call out to his father by that intimate name. It's intimacy and it's also apprenticeship. To, to know God as Father means that you're intimate with Him, yes. But guys, if, 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 if you're intimate with your Father, that's going to result in obedience to your Father. Like, I love my kids, and I expect my kids to obey me. I love them when they don't obey me, but I correct them. I love them whether they obey me or not but I expect them to obey me because I love them. And when there's disobedience, that hinders intimacy. And I can't just lay around and say, I'm so intimate with God, and yet live disobedient to God. And so intimacy 
and obedience and, and, and apprenticeship, vocation. This all goes together. And, and so Jesus, when he's telling us to talk to God as our Father, he's saying that we can have intimacy with our Father. He's saying that we can, uh, we can be set free by our Father. We can, we can live a life of obedience to our Father. And he's saying that we can be apprentices to our Father. We can learn to do what our Father does. And what does our Father do? If your father's a plumber, he teaches you how to be a plumber. If he's a carpenter, he teaches you how to be a carpenter. Our Father in heaven sets people free. That's what he does. And he wants you to be part of setting people free. And we treat it like it's work or like it's a chore. He's invited you into his work of setting people free. Man, don't separate intimacy and obedience and the mission. They all go together. And then notice that little word, our. He says, our Father. He's not saying we should never... Say my or I, or, 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 but, but it's interesting that all the way through this prayer, there's that communal, there's that second person plural pronoun our, and the whole New Testament is very communal. It's very much about us and we, and we like to make it about me and I. The thing is, when you pray, even if you're in your prayer closet, even if you're alone, even if nobody's there, you never pray by yourself. If you're a Christian, you always pray as a member of a community. So when you pray about the world's events, there's people over, there's brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the church in Iran, the fastest growing church in the world, by the way. And they're praying, they're crying out to, to, their, to, to God, their Father as well. And when you pray before you're an American, before you're a Texan, before you're a Republican, before you're a Democrat, before you're a Mustang, before you're a plow girl or plow boy, you are a child of God, and it's so helpful to remember that, and it's so easy to forget that. Our, when you pray, you're never alone. Maybe the sweet hour of prayer, is that old song, sweet hour, that 60 minutes of prayer, could be rewritten to be the sweet hour of prayer, O-U-R, that, that there's something sweet about remembering that when I pray, I'm part of a community. And he says, we address to God as the one in the heavens, or the one in heaven. And so often when we hear heaven, we, we think that means far away somewhere. Man, he's just out of reach. But for the, the, literally what Jesus says is, is uh, this, the word heaven's plural. And the Jewish people understood that that was, yes, God far away and beyond us. But heaven's also comprised this air right around us. And so when, when we pray to God, the one in the heavens, we're saying that he's right here with me and he's beyond me. And so that means there's things that I'm going to understand about God. And there's things about God that I'm going to not understand. And so I, in my office, there's a little, one of those little Father's Day things that, uh, that, that Ethan, I think in Sunday school, he answered these questions about me. And some of the things maybe he got right, but some of the things he got very wrong, you know. And so it's like, my dad's eyes are brown. No, they're not. Uh, my dad's 56 years old. Not last time I checked. My dad's favorite food is spaghetti. If you know me well, it's not, okay? But then it was like, what do you like to do with your dad? I like to go home with my dad. What's your dad like to do? He likes to help people. And man, there's days that I don't want to help people. But I remember there's a little six-year-old boy that thinks I do like to help people. And that's what he thinks I do. The thing is, my son, my daughters, they don't know or understand everything about me, but they know my heart. You don't know everything about God. We can't know everything about God, but we can know his heart. And he's revealed his heart in his word. And he's revealed his heart through the person of Jesus Christ. And he's revealed his heart as a father who loves you, who treasures you. He cares about you. But there's still going to be things about him we don't understand. And he says, hallowed be your name. We, we normally don't hallow anything unless we're hallowing 
weaning or something, but, but hallowed means to set apart, right? It means to sanctify. And so when he tells us to pray, hallowed be your name, what he's saying is pray that, that you would treat God's name as being above all else. And this is more than just not cussing, okay? He's talking about treasuring God above everything and everyone. And that's the essence of sin is that I treasure something more than I treasure God. And, and so when we pray, and there's this, some of us sometimes we get really spiritual and we say, I'm not going to ask God for anything. Man, this prayer is full of requests. The model prayer is. But the first request that Jesus tells us to make is that we would pray that God would help us be people who love God more than we love anything else. God, hallowed be your name. Let me set aside your name. Let me honor your name. Let me treasure your name supremely. I can't do that, God, without your help. Um, and then name. Hallowed be your name. There's a, a type of theology out there that uh, you may know is name it, claim it, right? Name it, claim it. And um, it's kind of distorted sometimes into this idea that you ask God for whatever you want to ask, and man, you get the formula right, you get the words right, man, God's going to give you what you're asking for. And, and I think about that as a father to my own children, it would be abusive if I gave my children everything they asked for. But sometimes we feel like we need to have, kind of we take off almost a hostile posture towards God, and we're naming it and we're claiming it. And, and this is, there's some really beautiful scriptural promises. There's something biblical about this, that we are called to trust God for big things. We are called to ask God for big things. We are called to cry out in faith. But where it gets squirrely is where you got some preachers that have become millionaires and are flying around in jets all over the place by telling people that they get the formula right, God's going to give them whatever they want. And where it gets squirrely is we start to believe that if I love and trust Jesus enough, I'm not going to get sick, I'm not going to suffer, I'm not going to lose my job, I'm not going to have this or that marriage blow up. Maybe we focus too much on naming and claiming what we want. And we need to focus a little more on the name that Jesus tells us to name and claim. And that is the name of God our Father. What he tells us to pray and to claim and to name in this passage is to claim and hold on to the truth that God is your Father. And as I do that, the other things that I ask for are going to be shifted. The other things I ask for, I'm going to be able to ask with even more authority and with even more confidence because I'm in tune with God my Father. Along these lines of suffering, along these lines of would, if you pray the formula right, is God always going to give you what you want? Uh, if, if you're suffering, does that mean somehow you didn't have enough faith? Well, let's go to Mark chapter 14. In Mark 14, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, which that means the place of crushing. <clears throat> Mark 14, 32, and they went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. Going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed. He says, if it's possible, if the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, stay there with that. That word Abba, that's the intimate word that a child would call his father. Jesus is saying, Daddy, Abba, Father, 
everything is possible with you. You can do anything. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and says to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me for one hour to see these guys are just like us? They're weak too in this area. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. And he goes back and he cries out to God again and he prays and he sweats blood. And he says, Abba, Father, if it's possible, like I know you can do anything. If there's any way I don't have to drink the cup of human sin, if there's any way I don't have to bear the sin of the world, let's do that. But nevertheless, not what I will, what you will be done. And, and what I see here is at the moment of the greatest, the picture of the greatest intimacy between Jesus and his Father is also the moment of the greatest agony we ever see Jesus experience. The moment of the greatest suffering that's ever happened in the history of the universe is the moment where we see this great and deep intimacy between Jesus and his Father. So if you're suffering, it doesn't mean you're praying wrong necessarily. It doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. It doesn't mean that God's not with you. Look at the Son, Jesus Christ. He went all the way to the cross. Trusting God as Father doesn't mean that we're going to be prevented from experiencing suffering, but it does mean that we're prepared for suffering. Jesus being God's Son didn't prevent Him from suffering, but it prepared Him for suffering. He persevered through suffering. N.T. Wright says that as people who pray our Father, the one in the heavens, hallowed be your name, we're called to be people who hold the pain of the world in light of the light of God's love. When we pray our Father, wherever, whatever pit or whatever mountain we may be praying that from, we have the opportunity to hold the pain and the love together. The pain of this world and the love of God. Our personal pain and the love of God. To, to know God as Father, right says, means that we're going to step out into a world that's dark. And that darkness out there scares us because of the darkness that's in here. But we have the opportunity to be people who hold the pain of the world in one hand and the light of God's love in the other hand. The cross of Jesus Christ. The agony that Jesus went through in Gethsemane. The suffering that He endured. The message of that is that God has claimed you. God has claimed you. God has named you. Before you name or claim anything else, you name and claim that God is your Father. Every single day you have the opportunity to be reminded that you've been named and you've been claimed.